Metal. He's on the line to us from Ontario in Canada this evening. Matthew Hart, thanks for joining us on The Money Show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Why is it that we are so captivated by this stuff and have been for 6,000 years? Well, that's a very good question. It's a very trenchant question, and it's the it's the question everybody gets to in the end. And uh, you know, I guess the I think you put it quite well in your in your introduction when you said hardwired into the human brain, because it does seem to be something like that. We've only fairly recently discovered the antiquity of man's attachment to gold, and in 1972, a backhoe operator in the town of Varna on the Black Sea coast digging the foundation for an apartment building, accidentally unearthed a Neolithic tomb. And when the archaeologists opened it up, they found this treasure of tiny gold artifacts, beautiful little antelopes with curled horns and all these mysterious little objects. They were 6,000 years old. So that's before ancient Egypt. At the the very dawn of our civilization, our, our distant ancestors, our forebears, were wearing gold jewelry. So really all we can say is we, we seem somehow always to have been attracted to this metal, possibly because it's easy to shape and endures in, in a brutish, harsh world with few assets. It always shone. It seemed to be everlasting. It never corroded or dulled. And as I say, it was malleable. They could make it into these attractive little shapes. Then, of course, in 635 B.C., they invented gold money. And then that installed gold at the at the heart of our very, very sort of heart of our society. And it remained there for a very long time. Absolutely. And uh, until President Nixon, of course, made uh, fiat currency possible and gold somehow lost its connection to to money as we know it today. And, and the world has changed as a result. Gold is probably the most written about commodity in the world. What made you choose it as the topic for your seventh book. You've written about diamonds. You're not writing about gold. What is it about gold that gets you? Well, I guess what really got me, I'd written about gold before, so it's my second book about gold. I wrote about a gold rush and discovery on the north shore of Lake Superior, uh, which at the time was a very important North American discovery. But when I started watching the the gold price, the, the climb, the inexorable climb in the gold price that started in 2004 but really got underway in 2008, when the when Lehman Brothers collapsed, the banking crisis was in sort of you know was was raging, and and that really kind of ignited the afterburners under the gold price, and it shot from $800 an ounce to almost $1,900 yeah. an ounce in less than three years. I realized that the world was in the midst of an uh, of a kind of like a global gold rush. When we think of a gold rush, we, you know, we tend to think of things like, well, the, the founding gold rush of South Africa. The great in, in, in over here, we tend to think of the California gold rush or the Klondike. Those are what they call in the business an area play. In your case, the Witwatersrand. In California, obviously, the, the Sierra of California. Someone discovers gold in a place, and then everyone rushes to that. But in this gold rush, people were inspired by the, the, this rocketing price, this ever-climbing gold price, to look for gold everywhere. They were drilling targets on every continent except Antarctica. There was, there was scarcely an exploration drill in the world that wasn't going 24 hours a day. And, and you know, because the high gold price creates gold deposit. I think that people have to remember ore, like 
which is the definition of which is gold that can be mined at a profit. That's made by math, not by God. <laughs> you know, if, if there's a God, God yeah. puts metal in the ground. Whether it's an, a, a mineable ore or not, that depends now, totally on ab- how much we're going to pay for it. Absolutely. But, I mean, gold has funded civilization as we know it. The Europeans went off to Latin America. They found the Inca gold. They stole it all, and they took it off to Europe. And modern European civilization is built off the back of that Inca gold. It's a massively divisive metal. We had uh, a war fought in South Africa in, uh, between 1899 and 1902 um, over gold. The, 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 the British Empire wanted South Africa's resources. We, we, we saw um, this resource held on to by white power for decades after the Anglo-Boer War as well. Gold has got a downside, hasn't it? Oh, it certainly does. It certainly does. And, and you, you are sort of like, you have kind of a front row seat to it there. Now, nobody has an arm lock on, on, on kind of on the dark side of gold, because you mentioned the Inca, the, the basically what was the destruction of an entire civilization for its gold. In this case, they mined the whole civilization. They just chewed it up and melted down everything. So the cultural artifacts, everything that that beautiful and ornate and and absolutely exotic and and completely, completely attractive civilization had created was just melted down in the furnace and put into into gold bars. But in, in South Africa today, yes, you see there's a lot of crime fueled by gold and the high gold price. There's a, a colossal amount of theft of gold from gold mines. I mean, your opening chapter... You, you, and run your op- Sorry, sorry, Matthew. I just got to give everybody a context to your opening chapter, which is the most captivating chapter since I last read Wilbur Smith, frankly, because you go into um, the mines, you meet up with Brad Wood, um, who we know in South Africa as Bad Brad, and he uh, operates security for, for gold mining companies in South Africa. And, and you go into um, the South Deep Mine as well with gold fields. You've experienced what it's like underground in South Africa's traditional mines and also dealing with some of these gold uh, with the the illegal gold miners as well just give us a taste of this opening chapter of your book gold well I guess the imponing mine which is the mine that I went down the well it's the 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 deep mine that I went down I, it's the deepest man-made hole on earth so just as an as an engineering artifact it's completely fascinating and South Africans of course, pioneered the deep mining of gold and have been at it for a very long time. This mine is it's two and a half miles deep. I mean, you, you take two long drops. The first drop, the first cage drops you down a mile and a half. You get off, you walk along a tunnel to another cage, and you drop down another mile. You get out into this, this, this furnace-like environment. It's like stepping into a pizza oven. It's like... 140 degrees Fahrenheit. That's the that's the temperature of the rock face, and it's cooled by this extremely complicated and 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 uh, and very um, interesting system. They make 6,000 tons of ice a day on the surface. Pump the slush down to a very deep reservoir. Blow fans across it. Pump the cool air down, and that enables people to mine in these in in in, in an environment otherwise they wouldn't be able to exist in. But they're not the only people down there. And then, by the way, this whole thing, you have to think of it as a subterranean city. It's like, to, to explain it to Americans, you say, it's ten times, you could pile ten Empire State buildings <laughs> from the bottom of that mine to yeah. the top. 
So that's how that's how long. If you think of the elevator to the top of the Empire State Building is a long ride, guess again, because this is way longer. And all of this exists to attack a seam of ore that's only about 30 inches thick at, at the point that they're mining it right now. And they're going to go down to another seam that's even below that, probably mining it robotically. But in addition to the legal miners employed by the mine, which is Anglo Gold, Anglo Gold Ashanti's mine, one of their many mines, um, there are also in these deep mines, as in every gold mine in South Africa, masses of illegal miners. In the case of the deep mines, infiltrated into this this huge subterranean city, 300 miles of tunnels, infiltrated into there by criminal syndicates through the use of coercion and bribery. And once they're down there, they stay for a long time because it takes some doing to get them past the security, even though, even though they corrupt the security. They tend to stay underground for about three months at a time, the illegal miners and their, indeed, their girlfriends and wives. They stay under so long, their skin turns a kind of putty color, sort of gray color. They're called ghost miners because of this. Their skin loses some of its pigmentation. And they're, they're, they're sustained by smuggled food and water brought down by the legal miners, for whom this is a kind of sideline. I mean, a loaf of bread that sells for about 50 cents on the surface what the equivalent of 50 cents in U.S. currency would be maybe 10 or $12 underground, and, and they water. So there's this, this whole sort of other culture and enterprise, this, this huge illegal enterprise. They steal about 20% of the gold. Matthew Hart, we have to leave it there. The author of Gold, The Race for the World's Most Seductive Metal, it is a spectacular book on the gold mining industry. It really is. I've thoroughly enjoyed reading it. Matthew Hart on the line to us from Ontario in Canada.